0: think that's what makes art special because if it could be manufactured there would be a uh, a 12-step course on how to manufacture originality and there just isn't because yeah anyone who's teaching that course is just full of shit. because <laughs> the, the originality <laughs> is gonna come out not only to surprise to them the person teaching you or the people witnessing you but to you yourself it's it, like the, the reason why it's a surprise is that you don't even know it's inside of you until all of a sudden you're like, Whoa, look at that. Look at this thing that happens to be inside of me. And you're along for the ride as much as everyone else is. and the ego. I think that part of us that self identifies wants to take credit for that. And I don't think there's any shame in acknowledging that, Hey, I did something special and people noticed that I don't think there's a problem with that, but the need to be special to be noticed. Like all of that stuff, that's all a confusion.
1: This is Way of the Artist with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Identifying your blocks and demystifying your struggles so that you can claim your own path and make your life a work of art. Oh. This is like a big title in this one. It's a big title. It's a lofty title. Um, You could change the game. You could change the game. It could be you. It could be me. Who knows? Um, This is... (laughs) I think that this is going to be a really great conversation. Um, I think there's a lot of cool things that are going to, like, factor into this one. We've sort of talked about maybe doing a discussion at some point on you know, the idea of like standing on the shoulders of giants. And I think that that's a part of this conversation as well. Um, But I like the tack that we're taking with this one a a little bit better. We're, we're changing it up. Um, So yeah, uh, we've got, we've got a kind of an interesting one. We, we haven't talked a lot about this one going into it. We just sort of figured out like, that sounds like a good topic. Let's, let's do it. So Brandon, what do you, what are your thoughts? I got lots. I always have lots.
0: <laughs> um, okay. A couple of things, I... things. I I think that first of all, I just want to say that I, I think when you're starting anything, a lot of it's learning the techniques and learning what people have done in the past. And you're kind of using that to get a jumpstart into something that people had to discover along the way. So you're learning a lot of stuff that was at one time, just a discovery for somebody. Um, and I forget who it I forget if this is who it was, but I think it's Voltaire's or some I, I, for, I forget who it was, but the artist that was the first artist that captured realistic light in a painting. And the way he did this was like he just observed people and rooms and situations where light was hitting and thought to throw that into a painting and make realistic lighting. And after that was done, it was profound at the time it be, it's so obvious now, but someone had to figure that out and do it. And previous to that, what people had done when they painted, they didn't really incorporate natural, like light, the way it is. They just kind of made things visible where they wanted them to be visible. And it was probably a little bit more flat. Um, but what he did was he started to use like shadows and, um, bounce and shading and and things that, you know seems so obvious and so important, but that changed the game of painting and it changed it forever. And now it's something that if you were to learn painting or drawing, it would be almost one of the most fundamental lessons, but someone had to discover it. Mm -hmm. So changing the game, I think is still possible at all times. And I think that we shouldn't assume that just because we are where we are. And a lot of people have discovered a lot of the more fundamental things that somehow there's no discoveries to be made. You could be the person to change the game. You could be the person that discovers something that none of us are seeing. And then all of a sudden, it's just it just becomes so obvious once you do it, but you would be the one that found it. And if you assume that there's nothing to discover, well, you kind of close that option for yourself. So that's kind of what I'm thinking a little bit about when we're starting this conversation. I think that's a pretty exciting idea to to venture into.
1: Yeah, and, and you know what's becoming kind of clear to me at the sort of outset of this conversation as well, is that this is actually a perfect sort of compliment and and a very sort of natural progression from our last podcast that we did. You know, like we were talking a lot about, um, you know, where we start like as beginners from a place of of mimicking and copying and emulating. You know, the the people whose stuff we really care about, and then we start to We can start to discover our own voice, our own sensibilities and things like that through that process. And in fact, it's kind of the direction that we, it's definitely the direction we want to go. Um, And that's one side of it. And I think that this conversation is in many ways like an interesting continuation from that. Because we're looking at the way that, that people have done things. And that gets passed along to the sort of the next people carrying the torch, so to speak. But it's up to those people who carry the, the, the torch to to take it forward. So it's not simply uh, a matter of starting to find your own voice in it, but there's a part of voice that can come into that, that can bring something to the table for everybody who's in your vocation, everyone who's in your field, that you can they can benefit from Uh, and I think that you know it starts from it starts from our own experience you know because we don't I think that a lot of people who change the game don't necessarily set out to change the game you know what I mean like I think that people who have done that who you could sort of classify as having done that and whatever their their changed the game or set out who have changed the game so the people who have changed the game Didn't necessarily set out to do it, but what they saw was a problem, you Mm -hmm. know, like they went down the road of what they were doing, probably copying, probably emulating and, and doing what the sort of the people who came before them did. And then somewhere along the line, they went and just like, wait, hang on a second. The way that we're doing this seems something, it seems like we could do this better. It's there's got to be a better way to do this. Right. And and then they set about trying to figure that that whole thing out, as in the case of, you know, Voltaire, if that is who who it yeah, is. Right. I you forget know? now. I think that was it. but yeah. yeah. And, you know, guaranteed, like they learned from from the people that came before them. They learned these techniques and they said, well, this doesn't really look like real life. <laughs> you know, this doesn't really. Why is that? Why does it not why does this look like a caricature of life, you know, as opposed to what I'm seeing with my eyes, right? And then setting out to to figure out a new way to to capture whatever it is that you're looking at in a way that was more realistic, in a way that that brought something to the surface that had never been done before right it wasn't necessarily that they they started out like I'm changing painting forever right it was the recognition of something something could evolve here and then figuring out how you could do that and I'm gonna hand it over to you but like I know that in my own experience this is something um, this is something that I've been taking more interest in uh, as far as as my own life um, And i think a big part of that is that like i think a lot of us probably uh underestimate the our ability and that we could possibly do something like that we could possibly be a person who who kind of carries the torch forward yeah i want to second the thought
0: that i don't think people who change the game set out to change the game i think they stumble upon it i think it's something that happens and it happens through probably things like being obsessive and um, passionate and just hyper-focused on something and just really trying to get under something, trying to dig into it and figure it out. And I imagine, um, I don't want—I hope I'm not saying the wrong name, but the artist that came up with this lighting in painting, right? And I think it's Voltaire. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> the last time we're going to say it because I really don't know. But um, I imagine... And I obviously don't know, but from, from what I've read and what I've heard, um, it happened by him staring and just observing obsessively like what he was trying to capture. And I don't even know if he was trying to capture it at the time. I think he was just drawn into trying to understand something and the, the concept of drawing light into your picture, had never really dawned on anybody up to that point. And it, it's, it's hard for us, I think, to comprehend that because, you know, we just, it's so normal. It's such a part of everything. I mean, we have films now, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, lighting is everything, but I imagine that that discovery came from just really observing this and then going, well, look at that. Isn't that cool? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that neat? And, and, and maybe, It was even something mundane, but he saw beauty in this mundane thing with lighting made something mundane, extremely captivating and interesting. And I think that's another point is that that was probably a discovery. And the other part of it was that it's, I think sometimes a discovery in, in things that are somewhat seeming benign and mundane. It's not always this discovery and things that are hyper dramatic and hyper um, incredible. I think, although that can probably happen, I think a lot of our profound game changing type of discoveries come in things that would often be overlooked, things that people wouldn't Mm. put a lot of attention to things that just seem so almost like boring and And I think an artist can look at something and hear something or however, whatever sense they're using with their art. And they can take something that seems so mundane and so benign and so nothing, and they can see something in it. And then they can bring that to light. They can bring that to the surface for us. And we go, wow, look at that. I never saw it that way. I never heard it that way. And for them, it's just because they, they took that extra time to listen, that extra attention to look, You know or or that extra angst to question and challenge because i think that can be a part of it too sometimes just i don't like the way this is done maybe it can be done differently and then they try it and all of a sudden it's like hey there's something here
1: yeah yeah absolutely and in terms of like i i just kind of want to bring this into uh, just sharing a personal sort of experience with this and you know it's like i remember being sort of a young actor and I've been training for a couple of years, a number of years and hitting a point where I became really sort of disillusioned, not only with, um, sort of the industry, which is a common thing to have happen, but, you know, becoming kind of disillusioned with, with this thing that I was pursuing, but also, um, becoming really kind of disillusioned within, um, within my own craft, you know, like w- where my work just didn't feel it just didn't feel good it didn't feel joyful it didn't have it didn't have that quality that had brought me to it to the in in the first place and it led to taking you know a prolonged break from from classrooms uh, and from all the books that I had been told to read and study and you know that had been treated as as sort of, you know, bibles, you know, so to speak of of the acting world at least at that time. And and I remember at one point I went and got like a I bought like a little journal and this journal was exclusively just for me to hash out my thoughts on on acting and the craft of of acting, the art and craft of acting. And I still have that book to this day and I, and I still make, you know, inclusions to it at, at certain points in time, but uh, it's interesting to look back on it. Cause you know, you see sort of like a place that, that you were in, uh, you know, because there was like little sort of personal journals and stuff that were kind of coincided with, with some of these things. But, you know, it was, it was really, it was, it was a manifestation of, all of these problems that i was having all of these things that i was seeing not only in myself but i was seeing in other actors and trying to figure out well what has gone wrong here like why is this happening how come despite all of this knowledge and wisdom and technique and stuff that has been you know been developed and has been trained in prestigious you know institutions for you know years and decades you know how come how come it still seems like I'm stuck and so many other people are stuck like what's happened here like where's like what what's gone on and it was sort of this place where I began you know exercising sort of what those thoughts were and it was maybe the first time That I had done that, you know, because I had just been, you know, looking up at, you know, this is part part of the problem with authority, you know, we've had conversations about authority and, and sometimes people set themselves up as authorities, but very often you, you put people into a position of, of authority, you know, um, Krishnamurti would say that authority actually only exists because you are in disorder. Mm. who you are is in disorder and and as such you create an authority that you have to look up to right um that's a whole rabbit hole <laughs> yeah but you know like these people a lot of these people hadn't necessarily you know intentionally set out like the teachers that I'd had didn't necessarily set themselves up to look like authorities in in you know my eyes but I'd put them there and you end up sort of taking everything they say as, you know, just like the the greatest thing, the best thing, you know, that has ever been done or said or, you know, could ever possibly be taught to, you know, for me, a young actor at that time. And never really questioning it, you know, trying on different stuff. But as I started becoming, you know, more and more frustrated and just disappointed within myself and my own work um it it became a a situation of like oh well like i'm just not doing these techniques right you know like i'm not doing there's something i'm missing in how i'm doing these techniques because i'm not getting to this place anymore um as opposed to you know finally coming to a place where it's like i'm just gonna write what i think about this What do I think? And I encourage that as a terrific activity for anybody to do, especially if you're a creative or you're an artist, getting in contact with your own point of view is, is a really incredible thing to do. Like take on big topics, you know, like take on big themes and topics of life and just, you know, write that word (laughs) at the top, like death. What do you think about death? What do you feel about death? Just write right. See what comes out of you. You know, like, what about, you know, family? What about the role of, of mother or father? Write about that. What do you think and feel about all that stuff? And, and if you're a person who's in a, in an art, put that thing up there on the chopping block as well, you know, to be like, what do I think and feel about this thing that I've given my life to? Because I think that sometimes, sometimes we can, we can lose that. You know what I mean? Like we can get so consumed in the, um, the mechanics, I guess, of, of what we've gotten ourselves involved with, uh, especially in that training stage that we can, we start to lose ourselves, you know, and not in the good way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's a good way to lose yourself, but there's, there can be a really bad way in which you lose yourself in which you, you've stopped thinking for yourself. You have stopped questioning for yourself.
0: I agree. I, uh, you know, we've grown up and uh, we've grown up and we've been educated, at least you and I have, and anybody who's, who, I mean, is in our generation or older for sure, 100%, who's still alive today. And anybody who is probably about 10 to 15, maybe even 20 years younger than us, maybe even 25 has all been educated in the industrial revolution model, which is be a good technician learn how to do a job and do it the way it needs to be done and do it properly. And there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. And if you're wrong, you're no good to us. And if you're right, you're, you're excellent. And if you're right, more of the time you can, you're a better technician. You know what I mean? So immediately from the ground up, and and I'm going to say it, our foundation is fucked. It's absolutely, totally fucked. I've talked about the education system so many times, (laughs) but we're moving into, we're moving out of the industrial revolution into the technological revolution. And that immediately, the the industrial revolution, people are going to find out that if you try to rely on industrial revolution model, when we move into the technological revolution, which we're already entering, you're going to find out that in the next 10, 15 years, you're not going to have a job a lot of people around you are not going to have a job, the world that you think you're walking into is not going to be the same. Um, And this might be 10 years, this might be 20 years, but it's going to happen. Guaranteed. There's just like, you can mark my words, unless some kind of massive chaos occurs, or some type of devastating thing occurs, at this rate, the way we're going, the whole world is changing. And that means that Things are not going to be binary. They're not going to be black and white anymore. It's not going to be about right or wrong. Um, it's going to be about creativity. It's going to be about ingenuity. It's going to be about things that um, make you different than robotics and automation. And if you think about the industrial revolution, it's a very crude version of automation. We're we're building people into robots, into technicians to do automated jobs. And work a conveyor belt, essentially, right? So it stands to reason that as artists, we have a major struggle, and artists are facing this, the people who really push themselves in the arts, who aren't just being technicians in the arts, who are really trying to do something special, trying to move people, trying to impact people, trying to make people laugh, they're facing the problem of their education against their art, and they're battling that. And I personally believe that a lot of the things that we think and we take for granted are based on industrial principles. Um, and it's a it's it was a great revolution. It did a wonderful thing for society. It got us here, but we're we're through it now. And so, you know, we need to question a lot of our we need to question a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, just for example, just to throw it in there and why the education system is fucked. And, you know, people who are aware know this, People learn differently. Some people learn better by physically acting it out. Some people will learn better by reading. Some learn better by watching. Some learn better by, you know, talking. You know, it, it just depends. So, yeah. and the other thing too is we're not rewarding everybody equally. We're rewarding people for science or we're rewarding them for industrial type things, but we're not necessarily rewarding them for the arts and we're not rewarding them for um, social elements. Um, they can get personal awards with those things, but we have a society that that is greatly leaning towards certain things. And so people get caught into the current of that. and then they they get in it and they don't want to be in it, and they want out. And they're working some job that they hate, and maybe their life is not panning out the way they hoped. And all of a sudden, you know, they're listening to this podcast, and they're going, this guy says it's fucked. Maybe it is fucked. <laughs> yeah. And it's time. It's time to go, what if you actually ask that question? Maybe it's fucked. Maybe the way I think is fucked up. Maybe I need to totally like reevaluate the way I think this all works. And that's yeah. a good place to start. Change the yeah. game, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and it doesn't mean, you know, necessarily that everything goes out the window. Like you sort of said no. at the beginning, it's like we're standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, like the only reason why anyone is able to critique and you know Tear anything down is because it was there in the first place. You know, yes. it, it it gives us a new it it gives us a new. Even if you have to completely rip the whole thing down, it was still in a way. It still gave a perspective. It was still useful in helping you see where you're going. And I want to just kind of uh, chime in on on something that you said because, you know, yes, there was this in the industrial model of education was useful. You know, it was useful for a certain period of time, especially like when, you know, early sciences were really like exploding and, and, you know, early technologies and, and, you know, there, there was something really, um, practical and functional about having these mechanics. But I think that in many ways, and this is just my own sort of speculation on this, but I feel like we've hit a point where now that sort of overstepped, you know, it's, it's, um especially when it comes to the arts, because you can see in the arts where, um, and I've definitely seen this within, you know, the acting world, where it's, acting is taught as a set of mechanics. You know, oh, it's just this, you know, it's just, it's just these things, you learn, you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you're acting. And, again, from personal experience, that's, that's absolutely not, it's absolutely not the case. Not that there aren't certain mechanics that you can observe in acting like it's it's one of those weird things where it's just like yes there are a certain kind of mechanics that do start to emerge that that you can sort of look at and you can analyze and and find ways to incorporate but that's not the thing you know like i think that's part of where the 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 problem emerges but when you have this sort of industrial model of thinking, you think it's like, well, it's just this thing. And I also want to say that, that, cause I've read some, some really thoughtful arguments on this, but that had a place as well, you know, because at one point to get into acting was something that was considered and some people still consider it. But at one point it really was the domain for the genius. Mm. Right. Like you only you you only did that if you were a genius, if you had some natural born inclination talent to do it was the only way that you sort of were looked at as having a hope of doing it. And when people could sort of come along and say, oh, hang on a second, like there's a way that we can um, begin to to study human behavior and apply those understandings to, to, um, the craft of acting that can really, it, it, you can, you can learn how to do this. You know, it's not just something that you're, you either have it or you don't. There's a, there's a, there actually is a way that you might be able to learn this thing. But again, I think it's one of those things that it can overstep its bounds right? Where it's just like, this is the answer. And it's just like, mm, it's maybe part of an answer, but it might also be n- not an answer whatsoever. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like, I know that for myself and for a lot of artists out there who go through, you know, training, especially if there's they get into some sort of classical training or conservatory training, you know, there's a lot that you can get out of it, but there's a lot that you can lose out of it too. You know, it's it's because what you do becomes just that set of mechanics and that doesn't make you an artist. That doesn't that doesn't push you into, you know, um changing a possibility of changing the game because you're just you're just playing the game as it's known at that moment, right? Um and the only way that that was sort of known was because there were people who changed it. Like yeah. again, like we're talking about this whole thing of evolution like that whole industrial model of education that was an evolution you know like when when education used to be a thing again that was for only the privileged you know what i mean i you can still argue that to certain to a certain extent but i mean there's been in in the western world particularly and expanding there's an importance of education right and this sort of industrial model created the possibility for people to get an education. So there was, there was something really wonderful about it, right? But yeah. you get stuck. We can get stuck, <laughs> well, and that's the problem.
0: All right. So here's the first thing I have to say. Then yeah, da- kick,
1: me, th- kick me off my soapbox, but No, but
0: you said so many great <laughs> things, and I have 17 avenues I want to go down. But let me start with this one because the education thing is important to me. Um, one is that most people don't even understand where education came from. You had to train people to work in factories. That's why education exists. It's not for your benefit. It's so you can work in factories. It's so you can work for people who need you to work for them. And it was a way to mass train society to be able to work for businesses. The kids of business owners do not go to public school for a reason. They go to (laughs) private school and private school is not the same as public school. Private school, you learn how to run businesses. You learn how to do stocks. You learn economy. You learn all sorts of shit that you do not learn in basic education. So, um, you know, we can say, oh, that's unfair. They're lucky. I'm not, you know, whatever. Get over it. You know what? You got to look at it and go, you might not even have an education because because wealthy people needed you and had a use for you, they gave you an education. Because if you wanted to learn to write and read and read, and do math and do sciences and do things like this, if you wanted to learn how to do that, you would have had to have done it on your own and you would have had to have a mentor. You would have had to have access connections. You would have had to figure that out on your own. And quite frankly, most people would not. So um, nor would they even have the wherewithal or the basic understanding of how to do it. So the education system, as much as I harp on it, is awesome because it's the first step But if we treat it like the last step or even a step that is down the line, we're so confused. So I want to say a couple of things and I just want to make my point really clear in case anybody like starts to get upset. The industrial revolution is awesome. It's a, it's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing because we needed that to get to this and you need your education to get to where you are. So I'm not saying education is all bad but there's a problem with it because psychologically foundationally in the way that we structure the world, there's a, there's a problem. That's what's fucked. And we need at a certain point to be able to get away from that. It used to be post-secondary school was a kind of a way for a private or a public school kid to go to a private school situation. And you got to do it a little later in life and it kind of balanced it a little bit, but now, Even post-education has a problem because post-education has got caught up. A lot of this post-education has got caught up into um, either being trades or being sciences or being um, a social confusion because we are also going through a social revolution, which is natural. Um, I know I'm talking a lot here, but to go from the Industrial Revolution into the Technological Revolution. it it, it stands to reason that we would go through a social revolution because we're not the same people and we're trying to figure out how to deal with things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and these things that are giving us way more information that we never had before. So that's creating all sorts of things. Like people are seeing cops shoot people. They're seeing racism like they never saw before. They're seeing terrorism like they never saw before. And people didn't see that before. And so this is bringing to the front... We're seeing corruption like we never saw before, but because we're seeing it for the first time, a lot of us think, oh, the world's going to shit now, but it's not. It's just that we're seeing it and we don't know how to deal with it. And then post-secondary education is trying to combat this, trying to deal with it. And um, also, by the way, and another good thing about young people is young people are like, this system's fucked. And they're starting to stand up and actually say, I don't like this. And I want this. And those authority figures don't have authority like they used to in the industrial revolution, which is a good thing, but also problematic because now you have young people who are unguided, uh, without wisdom, making decisions that their elders need to be making, but their elders are so fucking far behind the times they can't make it. You see the problem it's it's we're in a mix right now. And the artist needs to, needs to, needs to go, okay, I'm in the mix. Um, some of this works, some of this doesn't, I need to kind of start to figure out what works and what doesn't, and not just get swayed by the crowd or swayed by, um, what the, what the system is telling me, you know? So, I mean, that's kind of, I I think this all kind of comes back to the artist. I think the artist is the authentic voice in this mix. And we look, um, whereas we might've looked to business owners or politicians before we look more to artists now and, and we know that's true because we listen to music and we watch movies like there are gods today. And there's a reason why we look to artists, you know, for answers, for guidance. I, I think celebrity is misguided. Don't get me wrong, but artistry, like those people who come out and, and, and really show us something new, there is something in that. They're kind of like philosophers of today. Um, but celebrity is, is a problem it's confusing so we get caught up in that right so it's like yeah don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but also don't take it all don't take it all like as though it's everything like you have to kind of pick and choose what works and what doesn't and question that
1: yeah yeah you just i i don't i don't know like you just you just gave me sort of like a, a piece of insight maybe it's insight but <laughs> we'll see (laughs) time always tells sure that's part of the thing about like changing the game is like is you don't know you have absolutely no idea you know even when you kind of touch onto something you might think just like oh wow this could really change the game and it might not it might fall on deaf ears you know but um and you could be completely wrong there could be something you missed um but in terms of what you were saying just to sort of maybe it's a side note but the the whole thing about celebrity uh you know, because I was like, yeah, that's really interesting because in many ways, for me, the the artist, one of and people would disagree with me, I'm sure, but one of the things for me that a great artist does is a great artist connects us. Mm-hmm. A great artist connects us as human beings on that level, you know, like like it it can it can slice through all of the, you know, ideologies and and our beliefs and you know our sides and you know it can it's it blows it 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 serves the function of tearing down barriers you know um and connecting us as human beings and i think one of the just in terms of celebrity what's interesting about that is that like the thing with celebrity is that celebrity is cut off Mm. You know what I mean like it's like celebrity is we have put these people over here Right, it's like there's the rest of us And then there's these people who occupy this realm that you know, and so we 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 lose that human connection to them, which is maybe why people love seeing celebrities You know make mistakes and screw up and all that kind of shit. They're like, oh, well wow, They're just like us, you know that yeah. that old <laughs> that old nugget yeah, I don't know. I I had I just what you were saying kind of brought that to my attention. I, I created kind of a connection of there of like, oh yeah, like that's the problem. You have artists who become celebrities, and then they become kind of they kind become kind of distant and cut off and and yeah. That's, uh, for that, that's for, a problem. for
0: most people, I mean, I mean, you can say the music industry and the film industry are probably the two biggest artistic industries right now in this time. Um, You know, they are kind of the philosophers of today. They are the the celebrities, the people that we look most to. Um, They'll probably end up on most of the magazines and whatnot. But yeah, celebrity celebrity has a bunch of problems because, yeah, like the, the people who aren't in the arts, they, or even people who are new to the arts, there is a certain kind of like looking at a celebrity with this kind of awe, like a God, you know, like this, this immaculate being that's just so profound. You're like, I can't believe they're real. I can't believe I'm seeing them, you know, live, you know, um, you get starstruck, you know, it's like, well, what is that? It's this kind of, it's kind of a confusion. Like when you've been in the industry for a little while, like, and you've interacted with people, you start to realize, Oh, these are just people. These are not Mm -hmm. like, this is not, um, you know, you get people with egos. Don't get me wrong. Like, for example, I remember I met some musician. I still don't know his name, but uh, because I because after I talked to him, I was like, fuck him. But basically, (laughs) I went to I went to, I guess, his show. He was playing. He was doing a favor, playing some back show, some some smaller show. And my friends knew him and they introduced me to him. I didn't know who he was, but um, when they're like, oh, you know, this is Brandon. And, you know, I'm not a celebrity, but he was and they're like. And then I'm like, oh, what's your name? And he's like, people don't usually ask me what my name is. And I was like, okay, I don't know who you are.
1: <laughs> like, what do you want like, me to say? What do you want me to say? <laughs> like,
0: I'm, like, I'm trying to get to know you, you know what I mean? But that's like total ego, right? Like that's that to me was such a bizarre and weird thing. That was someone who was extremely insecure in my opinion. Because I, I've met much bigger stars and they're generally almost like if you don't know who they are or you don't really know them that well, like they're almost delighted that you're talking to them like a normal human being and not being a weirdo, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, um, but, um, I think for a person who just watches movies, you watch Netflix, you see these people up there and maybe you go to the, you know, the silver screen or whatever. It's like, um, these people seem so distant cause they're, they're like giant on the screen. You know, they're like these gods and a lot of these people who are doing profound things with art, or anything, they might've done something really well. They might have an incredible skill at that thing, but, and they might get rewarded highly for it. But when you get back down to the base roots of that person, they're still just a human being. They're still just a flawed person. And, And sometimes more flawed than you, more flawed than you'd even imagine. But I think what's so incredible about successful artists is that in spite of their, flaws, which are sometimes incredible, and you would never want to have to deal with on your, own. they somehow transcended that and figure out a way to take their passion or their interest and make something out of it. And, you know, and then there's those people who just kind of lived a charmed life. You know, there's, there's those people too, they do exist in the realm, but, um, there's a lot of people more than you'd imagine who are just just like you, or even have more challenges than you. And and the difference is they didn't let those challenges or those things define them. They decided to like, put it into their art and put it into their passion. And, you know, and um, they figured it, they figured out how to, you know, how to do something with it. And it might not be as obvious as you think, like it might've been, like, I, I think of someone, I know I'm talking a lot again, but James Dean, for example, was like, that guy did not have an easy life, but people, everyone knows James Dean. They know of James Dean. Right. It's like with him, I think it was kind of like, I got nothing to lose. So I might as well give my all to this thing. You know what I mean? And I, he was kind of like that with music too. He was kind of like, just give us all, you know, what jo- they're not, what Phoenix, but river Phoenix was a little bit like that different, but a little bit like that too. Um, you know, there's these people who sometimes they succeed because they feel they have nothing other than their passion. And so it kind of becomes their heartbeat. And we look at them like, oh, they're so amazing. Cause they succeeded with it, but you don't realize that that was like the only little bit of light they had in their life. And so they put everything into it. And, and there's, a, there's just as many people who put everything into that light and didn't make something of themselves. So we only notice the ones who did, but, um, I don't know where i'm going i'm just saying that like we're yeah. not as far away from this as we think we are you know
1: yeah that's my and point. and this is an interesting I, I i want to kind of continue exploring this because like there this is an interesting thing that's sort of emerged in this conversation that seemed somewhat unrelated but i think it's it's definitely tied in here of you know because changing the game you know and how many people who have become celebrities are people who are game changers um, that's not to say that every single celebrity is a game-changer, don't yeah. no. don't get me wrong, like, my wife and I recently watched a, a movie. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, uh, with an actor in it who we both like, like, we like them as people, but we were just like, holy shit, you are, you're not great in this movie, like, you are not good at all, and you're the lead in this movie. And it was like, we were looking at all the supporting cast around them being like, any one of these people would have made a better lead, (laughs) you know? And it's one of those things where it's like celebrity is not always an indication of somebody who's, who's really bringing something, you know, remarkable to the table, you know, like it's celebrity can also just, you know, sometimes we just like people. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we just like people for who they are, for their, you know they're just sort of their general demeanor or their beauty or something, you know, like that, that happens. And I don't want to cast any sort of uh, judgment on, on that because it's, it's, it's kind of a phenomena, you know, it's a phenomena of living. It's just like, all right, we don't know why this person's famous, but exactly, (laughs) but there they are. And, uh, and uh, you make of it what you will. But uh, in terms of, you know, people who changed, who changed the game, you know, you mentioned a few of them there, like, you know, James Dean was a person who changed the game in the acting world. You know, I know like Brando was like the, you know, maybe like, I think he's probably credited more than any other actor in the 20th century for how like he changed film acting.
0: Yeah. For sure. Maybe
1: it was beyond that. Maybe it was just acting in general. But I know definitely for film acting, it was like he was a he was a game changer. And you might watch him today and and kind of go like, I don't see the big deal. Although I don't know that. Watch be hard Streetcar to... Named
0: Desire. Watch the Streetcar Named Desire, and you will understand why he was so profoundly ahead of his time. Because you'll see all the other actors around him, and you'll see he stands out. And you can kind of see like like you can see him. He's the only actor that seems like he's capable of acting in today's world. Whereas everyone else yeah. was very like, it was stylized and you know, it was yeah. technical, right. Whereas he came and it was this raw thing and everyone's like, "Whoa, what is that? Right. Yeah. And, and by the way, I just have to say, if you think he just did that in that film, you're kidding yourself. He had 200 performances on stage of a streetcar named desire. And, and, and the people I've heard review who reviewed that said that every single time it was different. He never put out the same performance ever once every single time he he did a streetcar so they saw him do it 200 different times on stage and then he did it the way he did it in the movie which gets captured once and it just so happens that that was the way he did it when they recorded it on film
1: yeah yeah i also think of him in um julius caesar Hmm. as well that like that changed shakespeare for me like seeing it because I'd always seen Shakespeare as again, like this very technical, like posturing and and all of this stuff. And then, like, you watch him because, uh, like, there's tremendous classically trained actors. I think Laurence Olivier is in that production, but you see Brando playing, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Brutus. Not, no, not, um, oh, Mark no. Anthony. Mark Anthony, that's it. He right, plays no. Mark Anthony and he gives that famous speech at the end of it and you and I, and it was just like, holy shit, I didn't know that Shakespeare could be done like that. Like it was so raw and it wasn't perfect. Like y- he was stammering words out at like a certain point and it was just like, you could do that in Shakespeare. It's not <laughs> like da, 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 you know, it was just like, it was real. And it was human, and it was like it was from his guts, and I was just like, holy shit, I did like it. so that was like a, that was a moment where he was a game changer for me. Um, but what you were saying also, maybe think of like our old teacher, um Ted Whittle, because uh, he's a guy who i've I've you know stayed in contact with, and in many ways, he's a person who has quite directly encouraged you know me to be a person like he's like, He's like, see what you can do in this craft. Like in terms of like, cause as as a teacher now, it's like, where can you, he's like, where can you push it? Like, Mm -hmm. can you, can you, can you carry it further than the people who, who came before you? You know? And that was something I was like, whoa, like I can, I never thought of myself as, as being someone who's in that position. You know what I mean? As someone who could possibly do that, you know? And it's like. You know, it was one of those things where where I asked myself, where do I begin with that? Mm. How do I even know where to start? And then realizing, well, I'm probably actually already doing that, you know, through asking the questions of, and recognizing, you know, I think that that's one of the the beautiful things about when you're paying attention to, to, especially when it's something you're passionate about and paying attention to the signs to the impulses to what you notice and how you feel about it and stuff. that's just like, I don't, I don't know. There's just something that's not, there's something that's not working here. There's something that's not right, you know, and following that intuition, following that, that impulse, because you might end up having, having a discovery. And I think that you initially have it for yourself. Mm. You know what I mean? You initially have that thing for yourself and it changes something for you, and then you start to share it. You start to share that with people. And you know, maybe they pick it up. Maybe they don't. But I think that that's where where game changing starts. you yeah. know, is it always starts with you and that that recognition that you have within yourself
0: I, I think I think you bring up a good point in that it's important to be able to recognize or at least accept that you could be a game changer, that you could be somebody that changes this. Yeah. Why not? I, I think that it's a mistake to set out to change it though. I, I think like, yeah, I think it's a, it's an ego thing. If you're going to go like, I'm going to go out and change the game. And w- why are you doing that? You know, but I think what'll happen is if you're going to change it, you're going to change it because either you have a problem with it and you're trying to find a solution to the problem you're facing or because you just have this deep curiosity, passion, obsession with something. And you, you, you feel like it hasn't gone far enough and you feel like there's something else to find in there. And in doing that, you'll end up changing the game. If you, if you do get past your barrier, but if you go in to try and change the game, I think that is your barrier. I think you'll get stuck at it because, Mm -hmm. um, well, you but you think get
1: crushed underneath that. Yeah, that I expectation. think so.
0: It's like trying to write a script. You're like, I'm going to write a great script. This, you'll never write a great script if you try to write a great script. You just never will. They try to do a great <laughs> acting performance. You'll never do a great act. There's no way because it needs to, there's something organic that needs to occur in it. There's something that cannot be manufactured. And I think that's what makes art special because if it could be manufactured, there would be a, Uh, a 12-step course on how to manufacture originality and there's just isn't because yeah anyone who's teaching that course is just full of shit because (laughs) the the originality (laughs) is gonna come out not only to surprise to them the person teaching you or the people witnessing you but to you yourself it's like The the reason why it's a surprise is that you don't even know what's inside of you until all of a sudden you're like, Whoa, look at that. Look at this thing that happens to be inside of me. And you're along for the ride as much as everyone else is. and the ego. I think that part of us that self identifies wants to take credit for that. And I don't think there's any shame in acknowledging that, Hey, I did something special and people noticed that. I don't think there's a problem with that, but the need to be special to be noticed. Like all of that stuff, that's all a confusion, Um, you know, and I think um, being, being a game changer is kind of like, it's don't go out to change the game, go out to be more curious, go out to, to, to to challenge things more, go out to investigate more. Um, You know, I want to say, I'll share a story that might give this context. When I was a, a little kid, I was in grade school, was really young, but I remember they taught us about how they were like, uh, how the dinosaurs died. And they were like, the theory is an asteroid hit the earth and it created a big dust cloud. And then they, they told us this and we read a little book on this and then they, they did this, this, we had to write like some little um, blurb, some like I was young. So it was an it was kind of an essay, but it was like a young person's thing. And they were like, do you believe that this happened or not? And I was the only kid that was like, nah, fuck that. (laughs) That didn't happen. That's stupid. I'm like, to me, that was like a crazy, I'm like, yeah, but, and I even wrote this. I remember wrote this. I'm like up so a bunch of dust came up in the air and killed all the dinosaurs. I was like, come on. (laughs) And like my teacher was like, um, my teacher told me that. And it was like, here's the thing. It's not that I don't agree with that, but at the time I didn't have enough information to believe it. I was like, no, I don't buy this shit. (laughs) Like this sounds silly to me, but I had the wherewithal to not just listen to what I was told and to be like, no, I I, I don't believe it. Like you're going to have to give me more. I'm going to have to know more about this before I'm going to believe that. And you know what? Um, I'm not saying that I was right in doubting it, but the instinct to not believe it just because everyone else was, just because I was told that was what happened was a good instinct. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying that I think that instinct we need to nurture. It might not always lead us to finding truth. It might actually get us away from the truth, but sometimes you have to get away from the truth to find the truth. Sometimes you have to, you have to be willing to challenge, you know?
1: Yeah, we need that. We definitely, you know, we need those, those dissenting voices, you know, like they're an important part of the, um, the ecology of our society. I think that that's like a big, it's, it's funny because, and I mean, we're definitely looking at scenarios like that today in our our world where dissenting voices are being um you know really villainized you know i'll to put it mildly um you know and and we'll see how a lot of this stuff plays out over the next little while but it's just like you know people treat those voices like why can't they just you know think and believe the same way that that the rest of us do you know and everything would be great and it's just like no it wouldn't like the those those voices are so important to the ecology of our society they play an important role and they're not always right but you know they keep us on our toes they keep us um they keep us questioning they keep us going like well maybe maybe (laughs) Maybe they're right about something, you know, maybe, maybe we should take another look at this thing that we're doing and how we're doing it and how we're going about it. And, and maybe there's, there's something to be, to be discovered here, you know, how, and that's never a bad thing. Well, it's never a bad thing.
0: You know, I mean, like people love, love to talk about this and throw it in, like, especially today to like shut somebody up. But like, how do you think Nazis were created? They were created because people wouldn't question. They wouldn't challenge things. They were too scared to challenge things and the crowd can be powerful and the crowd and the movement and the momentum of the movement can be seemingly good. Cause you have to remember that Nazis didn't start out evil. They started out as young kids and people who believed in, um, you know, believed in pride and believed in building their country and believed in building nationalism and it went really really bad you know and then now germany in germany um you you learn about hitler it's a part of your very early education so that never happens again but the whole idea is that sometimes we can think we're right and it can be seemingly good and and you know you need to sometimes go like if you're having that feeling inside of you and going like something seems wrong here, I don't know if this is good finding the strength to not just go with the crowd, to not just agree, to not just be a part of it is important. And I think like right now we're in a time where people, people have their guard up. They're like, we do not want to repeat what the Nazis did in any form. You know, we don't want to do it in any form in any way. And there's many different ways in which we know we all know we could go down a bad path. And sometimes you might think you're right, and, and this, is, this is a really scary thing to, for, for a person to admit, but you might need to look at yourself and go, okay, well, everyone agrees with this, and I agree with everybody, but is everybody, are we all on the good side of history, or are we on the bad side of history? And if you can have that thought, if you can be willing to entertain that, you could wake yourself up from a bad thing that you're a part of but you have to be willing to like to to challenge sometimes what you think is status quo what you think is normal um you know and and it's like i talked about with the with the school system a lot of it is good but yeah. you need to sometimes identify well what part of it might not be good if you take it all as though it's like it's all good you know and and really with anything If you, if you assume that there are no flaws in all your beliefs, you're really fucked up. I'm sorry to break that to you because there's some flaws in your thinking guaranteed. There's some errors, there's some misconceptions, some biases you've taken on some, some, some thinking that's been passed along to you. And if you don't critically think about this, if you aren't willing to challenge it, if you aren't willing to look deeper, if you aren't willing to find your own way you're gonna get caught in a stream that is gonna make you a part of the group and you're gonna lose your identity and your art and everything to that unflawed perfection that you that you sometimes might think
1: you're living in right mm-hmm yeah and you know particularly for those sort of dissenting uh voices that are that are out there I think that like always to be like s- something to be kind of uh, I guess a value. I suppose value is not quite the right word, but we'll use it for the for the time being as a placeholder. Um, but you need a if you're one of those voices, you need to have you need to be a person who's also not just willing, but eager to admit when they're wrong. Yeah, you know, I think that that's like a good thing for for anybody, but it's especially when you're one of those people who's kind of like. You know, serving that function of like ruffling the feathers and challenging things. It's just like be willing to say when you're wrong. You yeah. know, it's just like it's like, okay, yeah, no, you know what? I saw something, <laughs> I thought I saw something, <laughs> I was mistaken, proceed. You know, yeah. but it's like it's it's good that we have those little, you know, those little checks, right? Well, totally. And I mean there,
0: you know, one day there might be a person who <laughs> I don't know, they're like, you know. I used to believe the world was flat. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, I probably pissed a bunch of people off, but the world is flat. You know, there's those people out there. It's like, okay, you know what? Like I see, there's something I admire about that whole argument because what I love about it, I'll tell you what I love about it. Cause it's crazy. It's crazy talk. But in my opinion, Look, like it's crazy talk in my opinion. And, and and now people are like, he's a shell for the whole thing. I know, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, it's it's kind of crazy talk to me, but what I love about it is the fact that you're willing to, to look at things and go, maybe it is flat. And, and I, I will say that, you know what I went, okay, I assume it's round. I, 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 and I'm I'm not going to get into a flat earth thing, but Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of reasons why I assume that we live on a globe and we live in, in space and we are a rock floating in space that, that there's not some deep state like aliens, like, and we're on this flat earth and they got a bubble over us and all that shit. Like there's, there's a lot of reasons why I believe that, but entertaining the thought that we might be, that might be happening is a worthwhile thing to at least entertain in your mind because it breaks what you assume is obvious. You know, I've thought Mm -hmm. about this further and I go, well, you know what? I learned how to develop video games. And when you develop video games, you actually create a world on a flat surface and, um, you know, you can do some interesting things with that. But a lot of the time, what you're doing is creating a world on a flat surface. So if we're in a virtual reality. I mean, maybe the world is flat and we don't know that. And we're actually caught in this whole matrix of it. Right. And maybe I'm just sitting in a room talking to myself right now. And I don't know that, I mean, (laughs) any of these things are possible, (laughs) but entertaining those thoughts is not only kind of fun and interesting, it helps break your mind of what you think the context of the world works under. Mm -hmm. But I think you gotta be careful about being like, no, this is the truth. I know this is the truth. I think you kind of need to like with everything keep one foot out keep one foot out going like you know what this is the best i got (laughs) you know yeah this is kind of what i think how it works i don't know for sure but i think it's how it works and if someone said i'm a flat earther i don't know for sure if it's flat but it makes more sense to me that it's flat than it does round i could respect that you know i think it's a little bit wild compared to my view of the world but if you could at least say like i'm i'm mostly there, but I'm not, it's not the truth. And I'm not going to make you like have to know that that's the truth. That's <laughs> respectable because I think the thing is part of the problem is I was saying this very early in the conversation. We try to look at the world in a very binary black and white. It's either this or that it's, it's yes, no, it's evil or good. And things it's are easier. much more, much more on a gray scale. Yeah. You know, and art is on a gray scale art is in the medium of the rainbow it's not yeah. the edges
1: it's in the it's in the nuances and the subtleties for sure yeah for sure um wow man i am melting like, <laughs> i I'm, know i am, heat am wave? melting okay beer oh, and my then goodness. we'll wrap this baby up yeah let's do it let's do it all right well i'll go first um i'm drinking like you know sometimes you get a beer just because the name is so good <laughs> <laughs> And this is from, uh, Squamish, uh, backcountry brewing, I guess. Yeah. It's just, sorry. It's, it's just backcountry brewing in Squamish, BC. And they have like this whole series of beers that like, they've taken like, like little sort of references to movies to name all of their different beers. So this one is called, are you too good for your home? Pale ale. (laughs) I love how you said it. and uh it's good nice it's good novelty aside with the with the title it's it's good you know it's um it's been really tasty and uh juicy a nice juicy pale ale you know i i don't know know another way to describe it but it's juicy Mm. you know lots of lots of you know lots of stuff happening in the mouth (laughs) with this one (laughs) you're like oh yeah that's juicy that's and and i i I don't have any other words so i'm just going to stop so go ahead brandon we'll (laughs) go with it all right
0: so i'm having i don't think i've ever had these guys before but this is trail beer refinery established in 2016 so they're pretty new um they're pretty new brewery um they're in bay avenue trail i don't even know where this is oh Oh,
1: trail trail that's like in the interior that's okay that's way into it's in bc
0: yeah yeah Trail BC. There we go. Trail beer. Makes sense. Beautiful. It's out there in the It's called Happy Hour. <laughs> uh, it's a lager. Uh cool 5% alcohol. Um, and it's a good lager. You know what the thing is, is I always find that everybody wants to do their IPAs and their ISAs and all that stuff because they want to show off with what they can do with the beer. But doing a good lager to me, which this is, is always a nice treat because sometimes I just don't want I don't want it to have to be a big deal. I just want to have a beer. It's hot out. <laughs> yeah. I want to have a nice cold um, beer and I don't want it to taste like piss water. <laughs> yeah. You know I want it to taste like a nice but light you know beer and a, and a good yeah. lager is like that. So this is a this is a good lager. I I, I recommend it. I'm happy with it. And nice. I think on a hot day, it's been the perfect beer for me.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. On days when it's been like in the in the mid-high 30s, which if you're, if you are in the United States, I, th- I believe that translates to, you know, roughly between like 110 and 115. It's been hot. It's been yeah. hot. Um, one thing I wanted is just like a little fun fact. Loggers are actually very hard to make, you oh. know, like, yeah, because, uh, or they they have a certain challenge because you have to keep them cold as you're making them. Oh, from what I understand, so it's like that's that's why a lot of small breweries don't do lagers is because the cost of of keeping it cold at, in in the process of making it or something like that. There there's some refrigeration element to how you make make these things that that you know which kind of um, deters a lot of brewers from 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 doing it. So
0: you learn something new every day.
1: Every day, every day, if you're, if you're looking, if you're you're looking, looking, um, well, this has been a cool conversation, dude. Um, I, uh, I don't, I don't know if I have anything off the top of my head to close this off with. Well, if if you do,
0: I'll start then maybe you'll spur a thought after I talk. Uh, what? Okay. So maybe you can, maybe you could change the game, you know? I think the thing is, is that you got to understand that we're already playing a game. We're already playing a game and there's already kind of a, a set of rules and guidelines and things that are kind of going on. And we're all kind of abiding by those and we're working with them. And I think there's something really admirable about getting good at the game that you're playing, you know, but sometimes you kind of, I think when you get good at the game you start to actually look at it and you go, okay, well, maybe there's more to this game. Maybe this game could be better. Maybe there's something. And that's where, um, by asking that kind of question, by looking into it, by solving a problem or satisfying a curiosity, I think that's where you can become kind of a game changer. And I think it's really important. I don't think you should do it out of ego to try and be like special, but I think you should do it because it'll make your world a better place and it'll make it better for everyone else by your input so um i think that i i think that aspiring to push the norm you know and challenge the norm and dig into the beyond what's normal i think are all really cool things to do and to and to they're worthwhile whether you end up changing the game or not i think it's worthwhile to to push on the boundaries of it, you know, and even if you hit a dead end and you realize, no, this is about as good as it gets over here, at least as far as I could find, that's fine. And then, you know, work with that. At least, you know, now, you know, the edge, and then you can kind of go on to the next thing. And I think if you keep going at it, whatever you're passionate about, especially if you get obsessed with what you're passionate about, you will eventually probably find something that can be improved upon that could be altered, that could be changed. And you know, and I think that if you find an avenue that needs attention, your attention, I think you should give your attention to it.
1: Fantastic. Thank you for buying me some time as well, Brandon.
0: <laughs> You're welcome, You said some
1: great things there. <laughs> You've given me some time to collect myself. Um, you know what? I And I think that I'm just going to, my closing remarks are just some good reminders, I think, um, that we've, gone through in this one which is i think first and foremost is like why not you why couldn't you be a person who who changes the game you have you know especially when you are in like deeply involved in whatever it is that you're involved in as an artist as a creative as a business person whatever whatever realm you find yourself in you're going to learn some stuff you're going to learn some stuff through not only any sort of formal education but your experience and i think that maybe that's really that that's the big thing it's the experience element there's the education but then there's the experience that you have Mm -hmm. it's like well i learned these things but i'm also doing this and there's there's something that's not lining up there's something that's not quite coming together follow that impulse look into that impulse don't throw it away because that's that's an opportunity right there to to say it's like you know what i how would i do this you know what might be a better way to do this and and yeah maybe saying how would i do this better is probably the the best thing to ask as opposed to a general how can can this be done better you know like how what where do you see yourself you know like how how do you find your way to make this something better and if you if you pursue that if you look into those 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 impulses as you become aware of them as as they arise you have every bit of as much of an opportunity and a right to change the game as anybody else Thanks for listening to the show. If you got something out of this, if you feel it improved your life or your journey in any way, please take a moment to subscribe, leave a review, or share the episode. You can also support us on Patreon,
0: where we have tons of great bonuses. You are the ones that make the show possible and help us to thrive. Thank you for joining us.